The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead dive. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead dive. Hello everybody, welcome back to Everybody's Dead Dave, our Red Dwarf review podcast featuring myself, Adam Martin, and as always, my co-host. Hello, hello, it's me, Phil Hawkins, as usual, the long-term old, oldie of the group. <laughs> and I'm still the, the rel- and always will be, the relative newbie. It's my birthday this, this week, so I'm Hooray! getting even older. <laughs> <laughs> we, won't, we won't say the number. Yeah, I, I, not this from- week, hold on, I better should clarify, not this week when the episode goes out, this no, week, week while of we're recording, recording it. We record in advance. So a very happy birthday to Phil in advance. I'm sure you'll all wish him many happy returns. And in this episode, uh, it's another bonus one, a very interesting one. We're take, we're going before Red Dwarf started, aren't we, Phil? Before yeah. the end, as it were, uh, back to 1983. And what could we possibly have to cover before Red Dwarf started? Well, how about the the radio series that was a key inspiration for the Red Dwarf show, which is Ooh. Dave Holland's Space Cadet, which went out on BBC Radio 4 back in 1983, part of a a wider series, wasn't it, called Son of a Cliché, which sounds very interesting. I don't know how much of that... Radio must be so hard to like... I mean, if you don't mind me saying, you work in radio, you're somewhat familiar. Um, What is archiving? I mean, now it's probably decent but I, do you know what i mean like how much of radio programming survives oh that's a good question i think it depends how far you want to go back i think it's, i think stuff from the 80s is fairly well preserved um, okay that i mean like the bbc will have copies of it um yeah for the most part uh obviously when you go further back you get the same situation as you did with tv they wanted to recycle and use tapes again so yeah stuff got oh, okay. written over yeah but no it's, it's quite it's a lot int- yeah, it's just interesting, though, because I think it's not talked about radio archiving but uh, and radio drama as a whole. But this went out in 1983. Uh, the first episode was originally meant to be a one-off, but um, it, and we'll, we'll explain why. I mean, I think it's pretty self-obvious, isn't it? But a second series followed uh, where more episodes came about. There's five of them. And so they're very short, aren't they, Phil? They hold together yeah, because they're, about... ske- they're individual sketches within a wider sketch show. So Yes, yeah. So I think it was about 18 minutes total to get through the whole thing. So what we're going to do is go through each one, give our thoughts, draw some parallels. We might be able to connect the dots because this, of course, was produced by Grant Naylor, the two who created and nurtured Red Dwarf. And yeah, there's there's some elements in there, isn't there, Phil, that sounded a little too familiar. <laughs> well, there were some where they've literally taken the script from yes, like, yeah. one of these in particular. They've just taken the script Absolutely. and moved it to a Red Dwarf episode and <laughs> to some other characters and... Uh, that's what you get. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, with a slightly we'll get... different ending. Yeah, well, it's a tiny tweet enough to make it. Was well, on YouTube, you know, like make it individual enough, transformative. That's it, transformative enough. So we'll start with episode one, the strange planet you shouldn't really land on. So we have Dave uh, Dave Hollins, who's our, our space cadet, who is voiced by Nick Wilton. It's not by Craig Charles, of course. However, there is a Red Dwarf uh, alumnus present in this. Uh, well, in this series, and it's uh, Chris Barry, isn't it? Yeah, who voices the computer, but he's not in this episode. He's not in the no. first one. No. Um, but after that, in the other four that we've listened to, I think there's only four more, but we've, yes, uh, we've yeah. listened to four more. Um, yeah, he plays the computer. And I, I did not recognize him at all while I listened to it. 
Honestly. Only afterwards that I looked it up and found out that it was Chris Barry. See, I did the opposite. I, I was doing some research beforehand because I knew I was leading this one and it said Chris Barry. And I was like, oh, okay, see, as you do, you're expecting to hear his voice. Um, but the amount of uh, com- uh, the amount of effects or electronics they've put on his voice. I have a bioscan readout. Skin, hard, impervious exterior. Central nervous system, single spine central. Capabilities limitless. Uh, you, it's hard to uh, say that I couldn't really tell it was him, but as you say, he comes on in the second episode, so we'll get to him. So, uh, th- so Dave Collins, it's not like the Lister character, really, is it? Oh, he's no. nothing like the namesake no. of the dwarf. He's 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 kind of like got this kind of brash kind of like like the title implies because the title Dave Collins, Space Cadet, yeah. sounds very kind of like Flash Gordon. Or it's very like, like 50s 25th century or whatever. 50s B movie, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where you got the dashing hero and yeah. it kind of feels more like that. So it's it's a very different character, although some of his setup seems to be similar in terms of like in future episodes we get reference to him being a in in like cryogenics for or asleep for like yeah, trillions yeah. of years in his Tr- case. Well, it um, fluctuates in this series as well. Yeah, sometimes it's to... only like 300. Some, the continu- like I mean, we're used to continuity um, not being strictly here to in Red Dwarf. It's even more all over the place in these five episodes. Yeah, exactly. And going off that sort of like typical American-ish B-movie hero, uh, the accent Nick Wilton goes for, it's, it's sort of American, but also it divulges into English quite a lot is that how you reproduce here with a husband but i'm not sure whether that was given that this was part of as you say the wider sketch show son of a cliche part of me thinks that might have been intentional because let's face it 50s b movies bad accents was one thing i think they were maligned or you know accents where they're trying to do one english or british sorry or american and you know they can't quite grasp it fully that's what it gave do you think that was an intentional choice yeah let's let's give them the credit yeah we'll give them the credit i'm sure it was intentional yeah uh, but the humour, I think, right from the get-go is very... To me, at least, it's screamed of the whole Grant Naylor style. I don't know if you agree. Like, a lot of the jokes yeah. feel it very felt... at home in Red Dwarf, as Absolutely, they do which here. Which is why they're then <laughs> stole which some Which is why they later. get recycled. <laughs> Sold from themselves and uh, reuse them. Yes, but the strange very planet economical. in question... Very economical. But the strange planet in question you shouldn't really land on. Dave lands on said planet, uh, where he encounters a... Uh, what were they called as the species? I can't remember. Do they die? I can't remember what, what the are? species was called, but they were yeah, an alien species, which is something we don't get in Red Dwarf. We don't no? get strictly alien species. We get alien-like species mm. that have been developed by humans, the Gelfs, um, and the simulants, but they're yeah. all like they have origins linked to humans. But these are actually aliens. These are for real aliens, and they have um seven husbands. With which yeah. they all, uh, they merge together to, I can't, they use the specific term for what they do, uh, to which they then eat their children. Yeah, I, seven, hold on. Na, nagi? Nag? I can't some, remember. Yeah, it was, some, it was something they like that. They have something some... that basically sounds like a giant orgy. Yeah, pretty much. And <laughs> um, the, the bit children. That, uh, who then they eat, as, yeah. as you do. Um, I don't know how the species survives if they're eating. Yeah, how, do, how does that continue? Maybe they keep uh, one. Maybe they yeah, just they hang one around and yeah. keep one child to continue the species out just of that one. brood. The bit that surprised me, though, made me chuckle, was that it, after all this exposition, 
the alien says, excuse me, I'm just going to explode, and then does so, and then within about two seconds is back. Um, it was just a very off-kill... It made me laugh, because it was the last thing I was expecting, and... I mean, clearly for the audience as well, because I'm guessing this was filmed in front of an audience so you can hear laughing. But yeah, I mean, what did you think of that when it just decided to explode? Yeah, it was it was a bit weird. It was, And then, like you say, they're just back there again. It's like, yeah. I've exploded and now let's carry on. Kind of kind of felt a little bit like Monty Python and now for something completely different. Yes, like, yeah, very, very much that like surrealistic, quirky style of comedy. Um, the alien then asked if Dave knows... Jan Vogels, uh, to which it repeats over and over again. Yes, you know Jan Vogels. You're yeah, Earth. you must know Jan Vogels. Yeah, and I noticed as this joke went on, was it just me? I think you can hear the actor voicing the alien start to laugh towards the end of it. I oh, think. I didn't notice, but oh, you, you know, like when someone chuckles when they're trying to be serious. I just it was right at the very end. But yeah, Jan Vogels. What did you think of this whole gag? Uh, yeah, I liked it. It's it's, it's a well worn gag because it's kind of like it's the old like oh somebody's an American goes oh you're from England do you know what uh, my friend John yeah yeah and John lives like a hundred miles away from you where yeah. you live why would you know him well, it's yeah. that but on a larger scale and, uh you know that old joke I mean it's fine yeah it, yeah it works. It works I wondered works. if you thought you would think it went on too long. Uh, maybe a tiny bit, but they do spice, well, they do spice it up with what is, I guess, the end of this episode with, um, where they say, right now we must, we must decapitate or you must be decapitated and exchange heads for an hour as this is a, uh, custom to which (laughs) being human, Dave dies. Yeah. Um, which is a good start to a series of, uh, sketches. And to be fair, character dies. I did like the last joke where he says, funny, that's exactly what happened to Jan Vogels. <laughs> that did. That was the point where I thought I heard the actor laugh. Oh, um, okay. But um, that, it, I'll be honest, that did make me laugh. <laughs> just because I think they, they got Jan, vocals, Jan Vogels in enough that I was just r- waiting for it. But yeah, Dave is, uh, Dave is dead. Dave has no head. Um, yeah, and that, that's episode one. So before we go on to episode two, do you think the Red Dwarf humor, because obviously Red Dwarf being a television show, do you think that style of humor from Grant Naylor translates well to radio? Yeah, yeah, I think it does. Because it? it's mostly, especially from that early period of Red Dwarf as well, which, uh, you know, a lot of this kind of feels reminiscent of, is uh, it's very about the dialogue. So mm. it works quite well for radio, I think. Yeah, and I noticed that when I was listening to the audiobook of um, Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers as well, it works when you you don't have the visuals there as well. And, you know, some episodes of Red Dwarf wouldn't work without the visuals, mm. and some jokes wouldn't work. But I think a lot of it is is the patter between the characters and stuff. And, Absolutely yeah, works well. Yeah. Well, strong episode one then. So episode two is called Norweb. Mm, that sounds and, familiar. Uh, it does sound a little bit familiar. Um, the the opening bleeps at the beginning of it, you know, after he says Dave Holland, space cadet, you get like some bleeps and bloops. Mm. The first two episodes, to me, they sound very R2-D2. Like very R2-D2. Oh, okay. Almost to the point where at first I thought, hmm, <laughs> have we have we ripped sound effects? But, but also I noticed the... And I wanted to ask you this because you might have a bit more insight than me, but there's a, there's several moments in this where you can hear the audience laughing. Like that every time there's those bleeps, they start laughing. And I'm like, either they just really find bleeps and bloops funny or I, what what would they be seeing? Like, how is this being acted out, if you get me? So, I mean, a lot, 
it depends. You know, different things are recorded in different ways. But they, you know, some radio, um, like sitcoms and things, are recorded in front of a live audience. Mm. It wouldn't be much going on in terms of physical. You know, the actors would be on stage with microphones. I sometimes record some of these in the radio theater, like a more recent, um, uh, like, cook comedy series was something like Cabin Pressure, uh, mm. with, which had Benedict Cumberbatch in it and stuff. That was all in, recorded in front of an audience. So they'd have an audience in the theater. They'd be on stage. They'd have the microphones. Then, you know, the, the actors would get animated, but there wouldn't be a set. There wouldn't be... Um, uh, they might have a few little prop, handheld props sometimes, but they wouldn't have, like, full-on costumes or anything. They'd, mm. they'd usually just be, like, just just, you know, there in front of the microphone. Because they have to say, they can't, like interact as they would in a scene because no because they need to stay in front of their microphone to pick up the sound so they're they're kind of just like that's kind of what the audience would see but Mm. you know again it's the it's the dialogue that they're laughing at really and maybe some facial expressions from the from the actors as well Uh, see if you've got the live audience maybe that's what it was because it just made me curious because again there's certain points in these episodes where the audience are laughing and in my head I'm trying to think what you know what are they seeing when it when they're not speaking so yeah very different to radio of course but anyway norweb so uh, now it's stated that he is uh, 7 7 trillion light years or you know all that time away from earth yeah and he's... No, we don't you know dave lister has his three million years yeah pittance. N- nothing pittance nothing on um on uh good old dave hollands here would be seven trillion <laughs> yeah but you may be interested to know listeners he is the sole survivor of his ship hmm and he's going space crazy hmm so <laughs> that's uh space crazy stood out to me because that you know i like that joke in red dwarf so the minute he said it i was like hmm okay that got reused and like we said earlier we get the ship's computer uh, it's not Holly, and it's certainly not Norman Lovett. As we said, it's Chris Barry playing Hab. Um, not that you'd know it's Chris Barry. What do you think of the electronic delivery? Do you think it works for this this character? Uh, Hab? See, I couldn't help but compare it to Norman Lovett's delivery. These exact lines, because yeah, I'll, so much of this is directly the script from that episode. Well, the, the script from that episode is directly this, because obviously this came first. Mm. Um but Norman, I've, I, this, you know, Norman Lovett's dry, deadpan delivery yes. of this stuff just works so well, mm-hmm. and so I always have that in the back of my mind when I was when I was listening to this, and it's, it doesn't quite doesn't carry it for just you. Doesn't carry it as well no. with this kind of more, you know, stereotypical computer voice type. Yeah, because I guess Norman Lovett was had a personality without being, like, you know, very outwardly expressive. The expression was minimal, but he also had a personality. Whereas this portrayal of Hab, uh, and you know, Chris Barry might have been instructed to do this because we know he's a very good uh, impressionist or you know actor with a lot of different voices and stuff. But yeah, it just seems to be very like emotionless, uh, you know, deadpan delivery. And some of the jokes are funny. There are mm. points where I laughed at the at the computer. Um, but Dave is on. It's not Red Dwarf. It's the Melissa Five. They're being chased by Norweb fighters. And Norweb, for those who don't know, turns out to be, Phil, if you do the honours. The electricity company that is the sole surviving sort of uh, company on Earth. Yes, the Northwestern Electricity Board. And, you know, we get... Now, was this topical of the time, I wonder, the early 80s, about 
uh, I don't know where like uh, energy and all that was at that at that point. Hey, but... well, it's topical now, isn't it? Oh my goodness me! If this was made now, it'd be <laughs> so topical. But I noticed when they got introduced as a Northwestern electricity board, the audience went wild for it. You know, uh, all okay. those jokes about them chasing you down and owing you. I mean, it's a very relatable issue, as I'm sure we can all imagine. Yeah. Um, but you know, Dave's been away for seven trillion years. Hab needs to fill him in with what's been what's happened. Uh, turns out he left two German sausages out, uh, which have somehow, <laughs> somehow over seven trillion years now cover seven eighths of the Earth's surface. And uh, because he had money left in his account, Dave now owns ninety eight percent of the world's finances thanks to compound interest. Nor web owning the rest. Yes, um, and that's because this he left funny. a light light bulb on. So they've yes, been supplying yeah. them with all their revenue for the last seven trillion years. I want a light bulb that lasts seven trillion years, yeah. quite frankly. I can go and get one that lasts, I don't know, seven weeks, never mind seven trillion years. Um, I like the imagery in this, though. Uh, yeah, it has to be for radio, but the whole description of what the Earth is like, I really I really liked it. You know, it was very visual. Um, a Norweb... Uh, I like the Norweb man who contacts him. Very, you know, very cheery, you know, hello, is that Mr. Mr. Hollins, Nor- Norweb here? All that sort of stuff that made me. Yeah, because we didn't we didn't get um a person in the uh Red Dwarf version of the sketch, did we? There wasn't no there wasn't actually like a voice or an you know, they just got a letter from the Norway yeah. company. Yeah. And I it didn't it turn out to be Rimmer in that one? Yes, I yeah. think so. Yeah. That's going back so. some way. But yes, it no, is, I think yeah. it did. Um but I, I like that whole skit with the, you know, what is it? You owe us a million pounds to the power of 987 and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, Hab has this elaborate plan. He's going to think of ways to get Dave out of it. And he just comes up with, oh, you just hide under the kitchen table. I'll tell him you've gone shopping. Yeah. Which the audience seemed to love. Um, did people actually do that when the g- gas man came round? Eyes. <laughs> is, was that a thing? I Anyone who was around me, you let us know if that was if times were hard. Did you just pretend you weren't in? Um, I I'm mean, sure somebody hey, did it. Might do it now with the prices. Now I'd I'll happily hide under the table and say I'm not in. Um, and that's episode two. That's they're very bite sized, aren't they? It's like there's one central joke, and that, as you say, because it's part of a wider sketch show. So they yeah. really have to be strong. Um, did you enjoy Norweb as well? Yeah, I did. Although I was always compared because it's the closest one to script. Like they've taken this script from this directly into Red Dwarf. Yeah, I'm just comparing it to that. So mm. yes, I enjoyed it, but it's not as good as it's. I think it's done better in Red Dwarf. You think it's like more more refined? Yeah, it's more yeah. refined, and and Norman Lovett's delivery adds so much. Not to take anything away from Chris Barry, but I think the um. Just the, the 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 type of generic computer voice that he's doing here, which is good, but it mm. but like Holly is is better for this kind of joke. Yeah, and also Hab is just hmm. I wonder what Hab's an influence from. Is <laughs> anyone see two thousand and one? So we'll move to episode three, which is Intruder. Uh, Dave is still alone on the Melissa Five. The others are still dead. I thought they were going to do an everybody's dead Dave thing, but they didn't. They didn't do that. And I don't think it would have worked with the way Hab's portrayed either. Just that very, you know, emotionless no. uh, delivery. Um, Space Crazy's mentioned again, uh, which got a chuckle out of me. Um, 
and a, a creature has been detected. And at first, Phil, I thought this was going to be like a polymorph sort of situation. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I must admit, I I had to listen to this twice because there's one point where, isn't it a pen? It's something. a biro, yes. A the, biro. Creature, the creature is a biro the pen, would you believe? creature is a biro pen. So I was yeah. like, wait, is this, a, is this the, uh, the gen- genesis of the polymorph? Mm. But yeah. I, I never but, but actually gen- really could <laughs> yeah. work out if it was a shape-changing thing or if it's always a pen. I think what I got from it was, because I, I know what you mean, I think I took away from it like, okay, I think it is just a biro pen that has evolved and... Right. they've developed a conscience or sentience or whatever but i think that what this was going for maybe influenced or was the foundation for what polymorph became yeah it i think because be. yeah. it just the way hab describes like the creature and it's it's power and moving around the ship it felt very polymorph-esque um but yes it is just a biro pen we get you know a bit of history of where biros have ended up i guess how uh they can often down the back of a sofa, which got a giggle out of me because that is that is very true. They they roll behind the sofa like nothing else, um, and they can fly through space. Apparently, um, it's something like they discharge, they excrete their something fluid into the pockets of their human owners. The exploding pens, which if you've been through school and you had gel pens, oh goodness me, the amount of exploding gel pens. Um, and somehow, yeah, they can just fly through space from that. Oh, no, they convert it to rocket fuel or something. That's what they say. Yeah. And I like the fact that it, um, uh, the other one, the second one, sort of seeks revenge because uh, the, the Dave chewing it's uh, the other one to death. Yeah. 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 Chew, he wants revenge. He want, And, you know, again, let's come on. If you were in school, who didn't chew on their pen in school? I know I did once or twice. <laughs> Absolutely. And Dave goes to, Dave takes out the pen and the sound effects they use make it actually sound like he's dropped a massive bomb on or something. I'm just imagining all this fanfare for, you know, what is essentially a tiny biro pen. Um, and it did give me a funny joke at the end, you know, when he's doing like his diary entry and he says, I killed a pen yesterday. <laughs> yes. And I felt very silly about it or whatever he says. <laughs> that did get a giggle out of me. Um, and that's intruder. So, I mean, did was this a bit of a? Do you think this didn't come across as well then, like with what you were saying about that? No, you had to I liked. To it? I liked it. It was just I wasn't because I had in my head because he was talking about hunting a pen. I was like, mm. wait, have I missed something? Is this the polymorph? Or is yeah, this actually oh, right, a okay. pen? Yeah, and <laughs> even by the end pen. of like re-listening to parts of it, I still wasn't entirely sure if it was just an evolved pen or. Uh, I say just an evolved pen. That's quite an amazing feat. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> or a polymorph, or like the jet, like you know the origins of the polymorph. But hey, uh, yeah, it's just an evolved pen. I, it's... I'm now eyeing up the various pens on my <laughs> table with much suspicion. Yes. Yeah. So you better not chew them, Phil. Otherwise, they're gonna seek revenge and come after you. Oh no. Um, we'll move to the penultimate episode, episode four, which is called Volvo Wars. Um, we get a few more on the nose references here, don't we? That we explain that the Melissa Five was on a mining expedition to Titan. That oh is, yeah, that is Red Dwarf on the nose, pretty much, isn't it? Absolutely. But what we don't, what we also get here, is some very contradictory information to some oh, previous yes. episodes. Because yes. apparently he's been asleep for only three hundred and twenty-seven years. Yeah, instead of seven tri- trillion. Weird, isn't it? How I'd, who knows why they changed that? Because this was going out weekly. I think I read right. It was like one a week as part yeah. of this 
so you know audience they won't forget that seven trillion is not you know it's a hard number Hard number not to forget, I think. So, yeah, for whatever reason, it's down to 300. But Dave has returned to Earth, though it's been destroyed, and I quote, via a nuclear holocaust following the Volvo Wars. Um, but we don't, aside from, because that's the title of the episode, but it's not really mentioned what the Volvo Wars is, is it? I aside know, from that it's reference. not. I was, I was wondering if I just missed it and yeah. like, been distracted, but no. I don't think it tells us. They just so, like so. I'm assuming they mean it's to do with the car company. Yeah. Um, did, did the vo- was like there... the Biro pens? Maybe they evolved sentience and started yeah, attacking. Maybe the what, Volvos. Was there... <laughs> oh, like, what, 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 was there some against humanity? Maybe. I mean, for, again, for anyone who was there, was there some sort of like issue with Volvo in the early '80s? Were they were they at war with with themselves? Do you know? It seems just very odd to call it that if the, if there isn't some sort of topical thing of the time it just seems like a very odd reference in if you're watching this on the youtube version then tell us in the comments below what your most outlandish speculation of what the volvo wars are because i <laughs> yes. want to hear them <laughs> i would love to know um but there are you know some forms did the only surviving life forms are fruit flies which are the dominant species god forbid um beetles and PE teachers. Yeah, which PE teachers get a hard, a hard they time do. from Grant and Naylor, don't they? Because there's several jokes in Red Dwarf, isn't there, that takes aim at PE teachers yeah. and the the whole stereotype that they have a low IQ and they're not very sophisticated. And um, they see, what do they say? Oh, look, there's one with a tracksuit and a football under his arm and a whistle and all that sort of stuff. Um, and the guy, sound, the PE teacher sounds suspiciously like the Norweb man. Yes, um, I, yeah, I'm assuming it's the same actor because it sounded very much the same. Almost the exact same delivery. Uh, Mickey Nicky, I think he calls himself. Um, and it, digging at PE teachers, like, I think, I don't know what you think of this. To me, like, in any context, like, maybe once, like, you have a little giggle because, you know, it's it's a it's an obvious stereotype, but... They, as you say, when you when you think of Grant Naylor's whole, they go, you know, they don't let up on Pete. Did they have a bad experience or something? Like, you know, what they get such a hard time. Maybe, maybe they really hated PE at school, so they. Well, I think what isn't one of the first jokes in the first episode, some about teacher training assistants and their intelligence or something. Yes, it is. Yeah. So just the just the education system in general, it seems they uh they take aim at, but. But I've got to think, I've got to say, Phil, this is, I think this was the weakest one for me of the oh, five. Oh, interesting. Okay. Or one at, well, actually, yeah, off the top of my head, I think so. Because it, whilst there's some great imagery, like, you know, we're describing what this world's like after the nuclear holocaust of the Volvo Wars, it's like, it just doesn't do anything interesting with that, really, mm. to me. I yeah. mean, what did you think of this one? I It was okay. Um, I don't think it's... A strong, yeah, it's it's probably, it would probably be my, in my bottom two. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see where this last one goes. Episode five, the final one, <laughs> and forgive me for the title, but it's called Enormous Fat Man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is a title that probably wouldn't be used nowadays. <laughs> let's, let's, um, okay, let's just yeah. deal with it. This whole, yeah, yeah, this whole section know. is pretty pretty fat phobic isn't it it's like yeah it, if it's quite cringy all the way through yeah if you wanted an indication that this was this wasn't a present day thing well there it is um so we're now i noticed we're six trillion years from earth now we've jumped back into the 
into the trillions, which uh, so you know again a different continuity. Um, they know Dave and Hab notice three moons. Uh, they notice one that's volcanic, one that's gaseous, and one with a Hawaiian shirt. Um, uh, turns out that is a human, a uh, um, a human of a bigger build, shall we say, uh, who's floating in space. Well, a is it a human? Because uh, I, uh, sure, or, or they, they, they refer to, and Doctor Who fans are like this, Zygons at one point. I, I couldn't, I had to rewind it. I couldn't believe it. I was like, <laughs> n- surely, surely someone had and to. This, this will have been after Zygons were actually on Doctor Who. Uh, yes. Which is yeah. 70s. So, uh, yeah. But uh, so I, I assumed that they were saying that, that this man was from the planet Zygon and then therefore he was a zygon but yeah i just i couldn't believe it as you said i rewound it and i was like yep they they said zygon they do however have feet the zygons specifically whether or not this man is a zygon or not the zygons have feet made of velcro yeah oh yes specifically so maybe it's a different yeah or or useful depending on your situation well, they have those Velcro feet because uh, we learned that the planet below has inverted gravity. Um, so, and this particular per- Zygon, I'll say, yeah, I'll go by their official name. Why not? This particular Zygon um, consumed too much food, uh, so was not able to remain within the gravity and is now floating listlessly through space. Um, I wrote weight jokes in Shoe, and you know, weight jokes are, yeah. you know, they they are what they are. Like it, it you know, it's. It's it's just a thing from the time, isn't it? You know. Yeah, and, uh, and sure, like, like, one of the things is he's propelled by burping and farting. Yeah, very very original, very good. Um, but you know, I think yeah, of course you could argue there is still entertainment now that will include jokes about weight and stuff. But may you could argue maybe it's done more like I don't know what the right word would be more. I don't want to say tastefully, um, but do you know what I mean? It's not as uh, maybe yeah, derogatory. Maybe it's not as derogatory as it with is. With the person rather than at them. Yeah. That makes like, sense. Because like, jokes of like that era are very much let's point and laugh, isn't it? Yeah. Because like, I don't know if you've seen, um, I've only seen a couple of episodes of what, what was it called? Called My Big Fat Diary or something? Oh, I've heard of it. Not seen yeah, it. Yeah. I think I've seen a few episodes of that. Um, and like the protagonist herself uh who who is fairly large you know largely built she's the mm. uh the, the fat in a vertical person in, of the title um do you know there's lots of humor that come around her situation and and of what she thinks about her weight and stuff like that but it's all done in a kind of like laughing with her type way right rather than laughing at her if that makes yeah. sense okay. so yeah, might have to I check it out. Then. I don't know the whole, all of the kind of like the fat jokes and things like that made me like groan a bit. And for that reason, this episode, like, it it was probably the weakest one for me. Mm, mm. Um, that's why the other one was only in the bottom two because this one is, I'd say, right at the bottom for me. But oh, fair enough. Yeah, I'd say this. I mean, this one did have a few moments that did make me laugh, but it wasn't regarding the 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 person in question if you get me it was around other things yeah um and uh towards the end of the episode a shockwave hits the melissa five a new moon a moon a new moon has appeared that's hard to say um turns out this is the person's wife the zygon's wife who um and i found the ending of this one quite interesting really 
Um, because whilst yes, they do say they they burp off into the the galaxy or whatever together, um, you know, you get Hab overcome with emotion, and you know, Dave saying, "Oh, she must have really felt for him to, you know, do that as well." Um, and it doesn't really end on a big punchline, does it? It just sort of ends yeah, on a more no, like that's true. Uh, I suppose I hadn't really considered that. Yeah, she's yeah, the, just, yeah. He's kind of gone up there deliberately to be with her husband. Yeah, it's quite a sweet it, ending, it, I suppose. It, it sort of echoed to me the more the the moments in Red Dwarf that that get a bit more, I guess, sentimental. You yeah, know, like we talk about that every now and then, like there'll be like a nice emotional moment or something. Not saying this was like made me cry or anything. Far from it. But do you know what I mean? I thought it was interesting to see even before Red Dwarf appeared as a TV series. Grant Naylor were already doing this. You know, we're making a comedy, but you know, we don't mind putting in little. Nice little, you know, bits and pieces there. So yeah. I think that's also why this, why the Volvo one w- was less interesting for me because I like the ending of this one. Um, but yeah, yeah, that wraps up episode five and, and well, of what we listened to, the Dave Hollins Space Cadet series. A, a very strange series, but, you know, I think one that isn't without charm. Um, it's very much a Grant Naylor product, I think. You can see the influences, like you said, there are very direct references in some cases that do make it into the show. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what? how would you summarize this series film? Yeah, it's it's a fun little sketch things that clearly they were experimenting with ideas that they would later go on to develop a bit more. Sometimes, you know, when as you do, you develop them a bit more and you improve them. But they yes. were good here anyway. I think they this is a very funny series and I like it. And I like the characters that we meet and... Mm. Yeah, I would have been nice to hear some more, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Would you say you had a a favourite character in this, just to tie into our our regular features? Um, uh, Probably Dave himself. Yeah? Yeah. I'd go with the Norweb man. Ah, fair enough. (laughs) I quite liked him. Um, Was there any particular moment of the whole series you found the funniest or one that stood out to you the most? Um... I guess it's harder for radio, really, because you're relying on your visuals to what's... Or your imagination, aren't you? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, the, mm. I mean, I'm going to go with the Norweb interaction, just because, again, I found it very funny and, yeah, as I said, very relatable. Oh, one one thing we didn't... that I did get a laugh out here, but it is, again, a line that I think has been used in Red Dwarf. And mm. it's, at one point, um, I, he, Dave is, looks out the window... To, mm. to try and look for Earth and it's not there and he says it's not there. Oh yes it is. I was looking out the wrong window. Yes. And yeah. that's a line that I think is given to Holly in one of the episodes. They're looking oh, for something out like, the wrong window. He's looking and then he goes and yeah. looks out the other window or something like that. I think I uh, can hear Norman love it yeah, in my head. So. I beg I can I can't think of what episode it is, but I'm pretty sure I can hear Norman love it saying that. So mm. uh so yeah, that, that that was quite a funny line. I like the delivery of that, and yeah. that Dave Holland's character did it very well. So yeah. I'll go with that one if I can pick a funniest moment. No, a lot of positives. Well, and what? About, how many scutters out of ten would you give this series? Oh, how many scutters out of ten? I would say let's give it a seven out of ten. I think. Okay. Okay. Nice. Solid score. What about yourself? I'm going to go half a point lower. I'm going to go 6.5. Okay. Um, there were moments I found really funny and, you know, the the influences are clear. There were some bits that didn't work for me as well. Like I said, moments in the last two episodes in particular, um, that might just be, be because, I don't know, maybe they were more topical back in 1983 than they are now. 
Um, but yeah, 6.5 for me. Not bad, you know, but and, uh, if it inspired Red Dwarf, then that can only be a good thing. Absolutely. So, yeah, that is Dave Holland's Space Cadet, the radio series that was an inspiration for the Red Dwarf TV show. Um, I think we'd be really interested to hear your guys' thoughts on this. So if you've listened to it, let us know what you think in the comments. If you haven't listened to it, don't worry, it is available on YouTube. That's how we listen to it. I'm sure if, if you just type in Dave Holland's Space Cadet, it will pop up and you can listen to all five episodes there it only takes you about 20 minutes um yes yeah, so thank you for listening to that special we'll be back next time uh with a with another special we won't reveal what it is just yet but another bonus a, a very we will get bonus. to series 10 eventually don't yeah worry. don't worry we haven't just stopped with, <laughs> with the main series you know but we, we like to change it up a bit don't we you know nice we've got to we want to keep this going so, yes, we will get to Series 10 eventually, but we've got another bonus coming for you next time. But, Phil, where can the listeners find you on the internet? Well, there's my YouTube channel, which is just Philip Hawkins. It's my name, one well, and Philip. And uh, you can find me there with all sorts of geeky pop culture content on Doctor Who, this this Red Dwarf podcast, stuff on the MCU, and Star Trek, all sorts of geeky pop culture on there. And if you want to find me on Twitter, that's just at Culture Filter. That's Filter with, like, my name, Filter. P-H-I-L-T-E-R. Hmm, fabulous. And for myself, if you'd like to check out my stuff, it's Adam Martin on YouTube, Martin with a Y. I make all sorts of pop culture uh, history of media type stuff as well. And on Twitter, it's Adam Martin AMTV. You can give us a follow there. You can also follow this podcast on Twitter at All Dead Dave Pod. And um, again, if you're listening via YouTube, give us your thoughts in the comments. We always like to hear your feedback and thoughts on these things. And yeah, me and myself and Phil, we will see you next time. Goodbye. See ya. Goodbye.